that's what we talked about, that first, that first temptation, self-gratification. And, and here is the question. What is it that we need now, immediately, and what is it that we can wait for? And I think that's where Satan hits us because we have those desires. And we talked about last week that God gives us these desires. But the problem is Satan wants us to shortcut those desires, forget that God has a plan, forget that God has a will, and we need to move in this direction on our own and really leave God behind. He is a great tempter, Satan is. And even more so, he's a great deceiver. He wants to appeal to you in the necessity of temporary so you turn your back on the eternal. He wants you to worry about right now instead of worrying about what is to come and who God is and how he's got a plan and how he's got a will. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to continue looking at these challenges. And a couple of these challenges, as we've seen today, was, or last week was self-gratification. And today we're going to look at two more selves. So if you have your Bible with you, I would love for you to go to Matthew chapter 4. We're going to read Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. If you don't have your Bible, you can find it on the version app on your phone. You can follow along under events, or you can just follow along here on the screen. So here's what it says, starting in Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. It says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If... You are the Son of God. There's that if, and you're going to see that more times than not. If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him, if you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, again it is written, you shall not put your Lord God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. So the first challenge, excuse me, the first challenge we were talking about last week was a challenge to the physical nature. It was a challenge really to the external. The two we're going to talk about today, these next two temptations that we're going to talk about today are a challenge more to the mind. There's this battle that goes on inside the mind, and it's, a, it's an internal battle, and the heart and the soul get involved in, in this one. More than just, I have to feed myself, or I just have to have this necessity. Instead, it switches, and it becomes this thing where we look and we say, I am dependent on what? What is it that I'm dependent on to, to, to make my life go? And today we're going to learn about this time of dependence. And like I said, we're going to touch on that, that doubt a little bit for next week. But here's a, a duh statement, okay? You know what the biggest challenge to being dependent is? Being independent. Do we not live in the land of the free and the home of the brave? Do we not make a huge deal on January, or sorry, January, January 25th is a deal I was thinking about because it's my birthday. But do we not think about making a big deal on July 4th when we talk about Independence Day because we are independent and we are free and we are able to do all of this. You know what the biggest challenge to being dependent is? Is being independent. 
and being told to be independent and being told to pick yourself up by your bootstraps, which I still don't know what that even means. But there, there are so many things that we are told that we have to do. It gets in the way of us being dependent. As a matter of fact, it points all to you. And it really boils down to one word, and that one word is pride. Pride is the root of our rebellion. Pride is a problem that gets in the way of us being dependent. But as we look at these two temptations, look and see where Satan is attacking Jesus at. I believe it's at his pride. I believe, as we looked last week at self-gratification, this week will be uh, the, the idea of self-protection as well as self-exaltation. The word that is common there is self and so as we're looking at that, I'm going to read just from the, the three verses where you see the temptation, the second temptation, starting in verse 5. It says, this attack on self. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, once again pointing at that, throw yourself down for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him, again, it's written, you shall not put your Lord God to the test. So we've moved from self-gratification to self-protection. I need self-preservation. I need to do these things. I cannot be dependent on God. I need to be dependent on myself, and I need to do these things. Now, here's the crazy thing. As we read this particular temptation, my guess is you're like me. And as you look at that, you say, I have never in my life been tempted to stand on the tip of a temple and dive off of it and make sure God caught me. Never been a temptation. So how can we understand this and how can we make this a little bit more applicable? Well, the crazy thing is, is Satan, Satan takes this. He takes this opportunity and he says, all right, it says in your word. That Bible that you talk about, the gospel you talk about, that, that, that uh, Old Testament that is there, that, that laid out all Scripture, all these things that all these people believe, it's right there. It says, and then he twists Psalm 91. He takes Psalm 91, which is the story uh, about God's protection, and says, this alliteration, this uh, ability of, of kind of a figurative writing, I'm going to make it literal, and we're going to talk literally about how God says, if you jump off this building, he's going he's to catch you. And I think about that in our own lives, and, and there's so many times he continues to hit him with the word if. And how many times did he hit you with the word if? And it causes us to question, it causes us to doubt, is God really real? And we begin to look at that, and you know, it's crazy, because if you look at the parallels, and I talked about it last week, there's a parallel between the Israelites in the wilderness for 40 years, and Jesus in the wilderness for 40 days. And so much so there's a parallel there that when Jesus answers this twisted scripture, sounds like a band, um, when Jesus answers that, it is answered by another scripture coming out of the wilderness of the Israelites. And when he says there, and you go back to Deuteronomy chapter 6, 16, Jesus is quoting that when he says, you shall not put your Lord God to the test. However, we like to look at that one, but when we want to make it applicable here, and how does this work for us, we can look and see that that passage was only half quoted by Jesus. Because the rest of that passage says, as you tested him at Massah. 
Don't put your Lord God to the test as you tested him at Massah. And what he's doing here is it's taking and talking about these Israelites and looking at these words, and it changes that Massah, and it looks at Exodus chapter 17. Now, Exodus chapter 17, while the Israelites were wandering in the wilderness. And while they're wandering in the wilderness, they were questioning God. And the whole thing that Satan is doing here is he's questioning God. He's trying to test God and say, are you really real? Now, one thing I've learned about the Israelites is they complain a lot. Unfortunately, we're a lot like the Israelites, and I think sometimes we forget that. But they had God, a pillar of fire by day, I'm sorry, by night, and a cloud by day. And they had God right there in front of them, but yet they go, where's God? We're thirsty, there's no water. That's what happens here at Massah. We're thirsty, there's no water. Obviously, God isn't real. We need to turn back and go back to Egypt because it was better in slavery than it is out here dying of thirst. They did that multiple, multiple times. They would continually forget about who God was, about how God had brought them to where they were at, and how God was providing, but not in their time. So they would say, where's God? What, what can we do? We need to do something. And so they would ask God, what's going on? Are you with us or are you not? Why aren't you filling in to our schedule? Why aren't you going by our plans? Why aren't you going by our desires? Why are you pausing and waiting? Now, when we look at Scripture, like I said, I've never had the desire to jump off a temple to see if God was going to catch me. However, I have asked that question. God, where are you? Why aren't you here? Why aren't you doing what I want you to do? Why aren't you doing it in the way that I want you to do it? That's a real question we ask. And it's a hard question to ask, but really, when it's paraphrased right down to it, when they began to complain and began to grumble, they basically were trying to put God to the test, saying, okay, God, if you're really real, then show us by doing this for us. But let me ask you a question. If you were to look at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, it defines what faith is. What is faith? Is it not being certain of what we hope for and sure of what we do not see? So if we're certain of what we hope for and sure of what we do not see, do we need God to demonstrate in such a way so we can finally trust him? Or should we just have faith to trust him that he is who he says he is and he's going to do what he says he's going to do? That's hard. Because then it's not us being independent anymore. Now we have to be dependent on God. And that's a struggle. And Satan's going to ask that question of if. And we see it in the Old Testament with the Israelites. We see it in the New Testament with Jesus. And we see it in our own lives. We begin to be tempted to question God's presence. And then we begin to be tempted to manipulate God's promises. Instead of knowing he is who he says he is and he's going to do what he says he's going to do, we have to push our plans. We have plans. And we're moving forward. And God, you got to get on board with me. And he's like, no, no, no. you got to get on board with me. Who's going to be dependent on who? Is God just some giant genie in the sky that if we rub him just the right way and we do just the right thing, we follow just the right rules that he's going to answer our prayers and do our things for us and do our bidding for us? That's a question we have to ask. And the reason why we have to ask that question is because sometimes I think we believe it. You know how I know we believe it? Because if you're a fan of any sports team and that sports team is in some sort of playoff game, I can guarantee that you said these words, God, if you let my team win, then. Am I wrong? 
Is there something along the lines that we've responded to God that way? If you do this, God, then I'll do that. And, and we have to be careful because we push for our plan, and it's all about pride. It's all about us. I heard a great illustration on pride. It said, pride is running ahead of God. Pride is running ahead of God. See, in Matthew 4, why the temple? Well, the temple was in the middle of the holy city. The holy city is Jerusalem. So the temple being in the center of the holy city is the place that people see God. They understand his provision. They understand his protection. They understand all of these things. That is what the temple was about. So if Jesus goes up to the top of that temple, there's going to be people all around. And as there's people all around, guess what's going to happen? If he jumps, people are going to be watching and be like, whoa, what's that guy doing? How did he get up there in the first place? But the, they're going to watch him jump, and then he's going to levitate at the bottom, not get hurt. How awesome is that going to be? What kind of cool crowd is that going to draw? How much attention is that going to give Jesus? And as Jesus gets that attention and says, hey, he must be the son of God. I mean, that's what Satan keeps blasting with the word if, isn't it? If you're really the son of God. Well, now everybody's going to believe you're the son of God, right? It's going to happen in three years or so. People are going to know that he's the son of God. People are going to believe and have faith that he is the son of God. But what if he would have done it this way? How would that have changed all of this? Because isn't that what Satan wanted to do? Jump in, draw a crowd, bring people together to ooh and to ah? Sounds like Easter services to me. How are we going to bring in the crowds? How are we going to do this? How are we going to get them to ooh and ah? How are we going to get them to see that he's the son of God and force that rather than let the Holy Spirit work and let the path play itself out? Let the journey get to the destination. How does that happen? You know, this temptation... Is Jesus, or being Jesus being tempted to ask God for proof of his existence and the presence and the protection and the things that, that we think we would need to have in order to be successful in whatever ideas that we have? How many of us have said, well, just take a leap and see what happens? Isn't that kind of that same idea? Isn't that kind of the same idea we have here? But here's a question. How do we know when we come to that point where we have to leap that it's God's voice that we're hearing versus our voice that we're hearing. How do we know? What was Jesus doing for 40 days before this question was asked to him? Fasting and praying. Do you think he knew God's voice? Like I said, he may have been at his weak, weakest, humanly speaking, because of the hunger, but he wasn't at his weakest, spiritually speaking, because he was connected with God. How often are we connected with God that we hear what he has to say? See, when we throw down a test, we show how little we trust God. When we throw down a test, we say, well, God, if you would just do this, and we like to twist that scripture just enough to try and fit it into our plans versus making our plans fit into scripture. And listen to him and hear what he has to say. And we're tempted to doubt his love when something goes wrong. And we're tempted to, to doubt who he is because things aren't going our way. And the sad thing is, is that there's a good handful of churches out there that actually teach this as the actual truth of the gospel. It's called the prosperity gospel. And said, if, if you are a believer in Christ, and you are doing enough, and you are giving enough to the, to the church, or giving enough to the ministry, then God will bless you. But, that's not the truth. Because we have seen that in Scripture, but you know what they counter that with? Is they say, well, if you're 
suffering, obviously you're not giving enough. Obviously you're not praying enough. Obviously you don't have enough faith. And the thing is, is that's not the reality. That's not the reality. Dallas Willard, who's an old dead guy now, but he was a Christian philosopher, as, as he would always say, reality is what you run into when you're wrong. Reality is what you run into when you're wrong. Reality doesn't yield. And for those of you who grew up driving to New Mexico, that means to have the right of way. It, 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 it doesn't yield and allow people to come in. Instead, it crushes wishful thinking and makes us stop being dependent on circumstances and instead being dependent on God. Because see, the prosperity gospel says is all your circumstances are dependent on what you do. The real gospel says our circumstances are dependent upon what God has done. And we have to hold on to that and we have to remember that. There's this weird thing that we, we like to do. That we like to ask God to show himself through some miraculous sign. Through, through some thing that, that he could do instead of focusing on what he already has done. Think about all the things that God has done to bring you to this point in your life. The Israelites, time and time and time and time and time and time and time again, failed. And they would complain and they would grumble and say, God, just give us this. This is what we want. One of my favorite stories that, that I've read recently of, of the Israelites is when they wanted meat, that manna wasn't doing it for them anymore. And they wanted meat. And God's frustrated them. Just, just be happy with manna. But they weren't happy with manna. So he goes, okay, I'm going to give you quail. I'm going to give you so much quail, it says, it's going to start coming out your nostrils. Love it. He wasn't real happy with those people that were grumbling, though. He said, what I'm going to do is I'm going to put that quail about a day's walk outside of the camps. You can go and you can get that. And the ones who chose to be grumbling and complaining said, fine, I'm going to go get some quail. They went out, they got quail, they got plague, and they died. So just be happy with manna. All right, that, that is the, story, the, the, the moral of that story. And when we look at how often are we happy with what God has given us? How often do we look and say, man, he is taking care of me. I shouldn't worry. You know, Matthew, just a few chapters later, in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus talks about, hey, God is taking care of the birds of the air. He's taking care of the flowers of the field. And how much more important are you than they? Why do we worry? Why do we get anxious? Why do we let all these things come into our minds and listen to those if voices are you going to listen to the voice of God, or are you going to listen to the voice of if? And that anxiety and that worry, they're so real in our lives. I was joking with somebody the other day. I said, I can't even fathom why so many kids are on anxiety medication. I mean, so many kids are like, oh, yeah, we got this medication, that medication for anxiety. And I said, when I was a kid, man, it was happy-go-lucky all the time. I was either in trouble or I wasn't. That's pretty much my life. You know, and, and the rest of you guys are probably the same way. You're out past dark, no worries, none of those things. And now it's like everything is fear-driven. And we're not dependent on God. We're dependent on medications and we're dependent on those things. And, and not saying that, that God didn't give us those medications for some things, but sometimes I think we're overly dependent on it. And I look at that and I say, am I going to listen to the ifs of the world or am I going to listen to God? When you really stop and think about it, the whole point of the second temptation was for the Satan to say, I want you to jump, that way the angels will come and minister to you. You know what happens at the end of this passage in verse 11? After he says, Satan, I want you to get out of here. What happens next? Did the angels not come and minister to him? In God's time and not in his time? 
how often do we try and force our time and not listen to God's time? And really, that's what leads to that third temptation that we see, self-exaltation. And that's where Jesus is taken up onto the kingdom, or onto the mountain to look over the top of the kingdoms. And as he's looking over the top of the kingdoms, he sees all their splendor and all their glory and all these things, and Satan says, you can have it all as long as you bow down to me. And there's a couple things I see in that. First of all, is this. You can't give somebody what isn't yours. So if Satan is offering that to Jesus, it tells us very clearly that it's all his. It's all his. We talked about it last week when we looked at the, the idea of, of the spiritual war that is taking place, that Satan is the prince of the air, that Satan is the ruler of this world. He's been put into a box by God. He's been given parameters, but it is his, and that's how he's able to offer it. The second thing we see here is this. Why would Jesus even want it? He's going to get it anyway, isn't he? Isn't he going to have all authority over all of heaven and all of earth? He's going to have all of that stuff. Why would he want it from Satan? Why would that be a temptation? Well, that's a real question. But then I began to look at it this way. How is he going to gain that authority? He's going to have to live a life and die a death to defeat Satan. And in that life, there's going to be pain. There's going to be hurt. There's going to be sorrow. There's going to be rejection. There's going to be loneliness. There's going to be isolation. And then there's going to be the beatings that come and more isolation, and more rejection, and then there's going to be death. How about we just skip all that and go right to the glory? Just skip all that hard stuff and go right to the stuff that we want. And I see that with Jesus here, that the temptation was he can have it now. I can get to the destination minus the journey. How awesome is that? It'd be like us going to Disneyland. A 15-hour drive from here. You know what happens for 15 hours when you have kids in the car going to Disneyland? You're going to get one question. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? And you're like, almost. We're getting closer. Almost. We're getting closer. Because we are. It's not a lie. But it's going to take some time. Why don't you enjoy what's going on around outside? Why don't you, when we go through Flagstaff, look, see those things are called trees. And, you know, that's the kind of thing that we can do as we're driving. And then you hit Kingman. You're like, there's a thing called In-N-Out Burger. All those things are beautiful things to get on your drive as you go that way. But as you're doing it, so often we focus so much on the destination, we miss what's going on on the journey. And as we miss what's going on on the journey, we miss the things that God's using to shape us. And God's going to use those things to shape and teach us. If Jesus had said, okay, yeah, I'm going to do that, he's going to turn us back on the eternal and only focus on the temporary. Why go through the pain? Why go through the cross? Why go through all that when you can just bow down? It's a question I think we have to ask ourselves because those whispers are in our ears, aren't they? Look at all that you can have. Look at all the success you can have. Look at all the, the, the things that you can have. Look at all the possessions. Look at all the pleasures. Look at all the pursuits. If you just leave God out of the equation. I mean, you don't have to go to church on a Sunday morning. You don't have to read your Bible every morning. You don't have to pray to God. You don't have to. Because that's just taking up time that you could be using to better yourselves and pursue those things that you want and those things that you need. And we can use that as an excuse, can we not? 
I'm asking you guys, you're all here. But somebody else I could probably ask out there on the street, isn't that the kind of thinking? Isn't that the battle that we have in our head? Isn't that the whispers that we hear to just bow down, cut God out? You don't have to be dependent on God. You can be dependent on yourself. And then you can just live whatever life you want, right? Isn't that what Genesis 3 was all about? Didn't Satan go to Adam and Eve and say, listen, if you eat that fruit, you can be like God. And if you're like God, that means you don't have to be dependent on God because you're just like Him. And then you can really live. And they fell for it. And isn't that the Satan temptation here to, to Jesus as well? You can just be like God. You can have all of these things. All you have to do is bow down and worship me. It's a constant battle that we see that takes place. But here's the thing. The world's going to offer you everything that you want. As a matter of fact, 1 John 2.16 tells us the world's going to give you the lust of your eyes, the lust of your flesh, and the pride of life. Those things aren't going to come from God. They're going to come from that. They're, they're going to give you those things. They say, turn your back on God. Instead of living a life that is trusting and humble and even sometimes within difficult obedience to God, you're going to trust yourself. You're going to chase after the things that you want. It's that word pride again. The pride's going to run ahead of God and say, I'm going to get all I can while I can with the abilities that I can. And we continually battle with that. See, pride is the root of all of our rebellion. So here's the question. Will we be dependent on ourselves or will we be dependent on God? Will we demand that God succumbs to our desires and our wants and our wishes or will we do the opposite and humbly bow down to him? How dependent are you on God? I'm not sure if you saw it, and I talked about it already a little bit this morning. That word self, self-gratification, self-protection, self-exaltation, it's all self. Who do you depend on? Is it self or is it God? See, if you're in the wilderness right now, my guess is, is that you've had the opportunity to be kind of stripped away of all that excess stuff, and you go, God's all I got. And when you say, God's all I got, and you go, wait, you know what? God's all I really need. But then we get out of the wilderness, and we forget that. Or the longer we're in the wilderness, we go, are you really? We hear the word if, and we hear the, the doubts come in, and all of the things that happen. Where are you? How dependent on God are you? I wrote six things down to make this practical, to say, Here's what we have to do to depend on God alone. And I'm sure there's plenty more things, but these are the first six things that kind of came to me. The first one is this. It's what Jesus was already doing. He was praying. He was in communication with God. He was connecting with God. He was listening to God. And he was being strengthened by God. Prayer is an acknowledgement of God's power and promises and his provision. And when we pray, we are being dependent on God. That's going to be the opening of the door. The second thing we need to do is something crazy, okay? This is going to be mind-blowing for you. We just need to honor the Bible, okay? We need to honor the Bible. We need to understand that the Word of God is the Bible. It wasn't just written by men. It was written by men who were inspired by the Holy Spirit to bring God's Word into our hearts and into our lives, and it's full of instruction, and it's full of information, it's full of examples, and it's full of promises for believers. And we need to honor that, and we need to live on that, and we need to read from the Bible every day. How often are you reading? How often are you involved in it? How often are you being fed? You know, one of the things I hear often is, hey, I'm not being fed. And I am all for helping out and being a part of that on a Sunday morning, but if you only eat at a buffet on Sunday morning, and you get it all crammed in there in 40 minutes, are you still going to be hungry by Wednesday? Yes. 
And if you're not eating, are you going to be weak? Yes. It's the same way with spiritual food. We need to be feeding ourselves in that. Honor the Bible. Third thing I wrote down is do right. At all times, in all situations. Do right. We know right and we know wrong. Stop trying to twist Scripture and say, well, I think I can't do right, do wrong, or don't do wrong. That's just simple. Fourth thing, be a living sacrifice. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 says, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. One of the things we have to understand about the Old Testament sacrifice is they were purified and brought blameless and, and, and pure before God. It was one of the things that they did to, to offer it as a sin sacrifice. Well, guess what? We're a living sacrifice. How can we live for the Lord? Fighting against Him all the time on who's going to be in charge, the independent one versus dependent one. Give that up. That's how Paul is able to write in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 when he says, when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Because when I'm at my weakest, I understand the strength that I have through the mercy and the grace and the power of God. But if I'm independent, I'm trying to reject those things and say, I don't need it. But we do every day. Fifth thing I wrote down is abide in Christ. You know, one of the great things about this, this the whole dependence idea. There's a handful of pictures in Scripture that shows our dependence on God, dependence on Christ. One is He's our shepherd. The shepherd is the one in charge. The sheep are dependent on him for protection. The sheep are dependent on him to guide them where to eat at. All of those things. He is our shepherd. Second thing we also see is that he's our high priest, which means he's our go-between. He's the one that is went between us and God because we couldn't do it on our own. Third thing I see, though, is the picture of John 15 where he's the vine. And a branch cannot survive outside of the vine. Don't believe me? Go home and cut a branch off your tree. See what happens by the end of the summer, okay? You're going to be burning it because we can't be without Christ and survive. So my challenge is to abide in Christ. And the sixth one is refuse to worry. Refuse to worry. Understand that God cares for his children. Understand that God cares for you, that he is a good father. You know, I like to think of myself as a good father, but the Bible actually tells me I'm an evil father. It actually says that you think you're good, not in comparison to God. You know, I want to make sure my kids are taken care of. I want to make sure that they're more than taken care of. I really want to spoil them. I'm not going to lie. We go into the store, and they're like, I want, I want, I want. And I'm kind of like, I do too. We should get that. And, and so, so there's some reality in that that we do those kind of things. But think about how much better of a father that God is and how much better he takes care of us. Refuse to worry. You know, one of the great things about the Bible is, is the illustrations that it uses. And one of the things that Jesus uses is an illustration in Matthew chapter 18. It says, he called a little child to him and placed the child among them. And he said, truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. When I look at that, I think about this. He's challenged us to become children. Why? Because children are dependent. Children are dependent on their parents. Children are dependent on others. Children are dependent on those things. And the independent ones, they get spanked. So it, it really is what we're supposed to be doing and how we're supposed to be and, and being dependent on Him. So can I challenge you today, as we wrap up, can I challenge you today to stop depending on ourselves and being more fully dependent on God? Can we make that shift? Can we see that He is good and that He is God and that He has our best in mind. And understand that we need Him. Understand that this is something that is 
not foreign to us, but we just battle it. And can I also challenge you to stop listening to the ifs? Because those two letters we're going to talk more about next week and what we doubt and why we doubt and how we overcome that doubt. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the ability to be dependent on you. And thank you for the ability to be able to recognize our weakness. To recognize the things where we struggle. To recognize all of this in our lives. Thank you for your grace and mercy being poured out on us. That even though we try to be independent, God, you're still there for us. You're still walking alongside of us. You're still guiding us and directing us and taking us along this journey. Even when we're trying to get to the destination. When we're asking you, how much further? How much further? How much further? We know that you're still in control. And that you're still driving. And you're still taking us to where we need to go. God, I know the people in here that are in the wilderness and they're struggling with that right now. Thinking, how much more of this can I take? But God, you so often strip us of all the things that we think we need so we can focus on the one thing we actually do need. And I pray for those that are in the wilderness right now. But I also pray for those who are outside of the wilderness who are relying so much on stuff and the high-speed internet and the cell phone and the smart TVs and all the toothbrushes, all that stuff that we think are so important, but really in reality, God, we're just dependent on them, a temporary thing, instead of being dependent on the one thing that is eternal. God, work in our hearts this morning. I pray in your name. Amen.